Agencies across the federal government are turning to applied science and technology to modernize and improve mission delivery. In our podcast, Tackling Government Challenges Through Science and Technology, sponsored by Noblis, we'll be presenting a series of interviews featuring federal executives overseeing various programs and overcoming challenges with innovation. Here's your host, Tom Tenen. Not even a year old, a new unit of the Health and Human Services Department is taking on some of the biggest challenges in public health. It's called the Advanced Research Projects Agency for Health, or ARPA-H. For details of where it's exactly headed, I spoke with ARPA-H Director Renee Wegerson. What we have in place now, I like to think of as our minimum viable agency. So we have all the core business components that, that one would need to stand up a federal agency. So think uh, contracting, our HR team, um, our budget team. We're very lucky that we can lean on the National Institutes of Health to help us with some of that, but we are starting to build uh, those those capabilities in-house, and that's what I've been really focused on since I was sworn in uh, in October of last year. And will ARPA-H be something with its own permanent standing staff, or will it be a place primarily of assignees and designees that come in and out? So ARPA-H is really modeled after the, the DARPA business model, which has both. And so what's really core to the organization is uh, what we like to think of as the business team that you join. Again, these contracting folks, uh, our budget team, all the things that uh, need to be in place to have a business run on a day-to-day basis. And they're all in service of our program managers. That is the technical team of experts that comes in uh, for a term appointment, uh, a base contract of three years, renewable for up to another three. And it's really a bottoms-up organization where those program managers come in with their amazing CV. They're a person who thinks and acts like a CEO but they specifically have a program in health that they want, a problem in health that they want to solve. It's the combination of those two. We hire those folks in, and that is the rotating staff, the the flywheel, if you will, of the ideas and concepts and people and energy and experience uh, that we're trying to build here at RPH. Gosh, so many questions. A program consists (laughs) then of what exactly? Yeah, so a program manager, when they design a program, it's really based around uh, a specific problem in health. And so it is not uh, a general uh, concept to build the knowledge base. It is, I want to solve this problem, like curing tinnitus, as we just uh, had discussed earlier. So what is that specific problem that the program manager is going to define? And we have them define it in a framework called the Heilmeyer questions. And this is something we adopted directly from DARPA. So George Heilmeyer was one of the early directors of DARPA who laid out eight questions Uh, that form the basis of a program. The first question is, what problem are you trying to solve? Don't use any jargon. Anybody needs to be understanding uh, what you're doing. The second question is, how is it done today? What's the status quo? The third question, and this is where the technical expertise becomes really important, is what's the new insight in how you're going to solve that problem? What's the game changer? And then uh, a few more logistical questions about, you know, how long is it going to take? How much is it going to cost? And then what are those milestones? These are these are big goals, lofty goals that we're going to solve the problems, but we need those incremental steps. How are we going to know that we're on the right track to that big uh, radical solution? At ARPA-H, we've added two additional questions as well that um, for augmenting it for the health uh, sector, which is how are you going to make this program, this solution accessible to all people? We have the largest customer base of any ARPA, all Americans. Um, How are you going to make it cost effective? We all know there's a lot of great solutions in health, but nobody can afford them. Um, And then finally, how are you going to make it uh, so that the customers actually want to use these tools? We don't want to create wonderful whiz-bang technologies that sit on the shelf because nobody knows how to use them. So we want to have a lot of that customer interaction so that it's adopted. 
And then the last question we've added is around um, messaging and misinformation. So when you have a brand new technology that's quite impactful, sometimes it can be misinterpreted. And we wanna make sure we're getting ahead of that so people understand what can these technologies be used for, even if they haven't seen them uh, before. That's how we've adopted that that ARPA business model for us in the design of those programs. And what is the process by which a decision gets made and who makes it for this shall be a program? So that's done. Uh, at, it, it starts during the application process. And so we have uh, a, a very lean but intense application process for our program managers. And so literally it's their CV and that those questions that I just outlined for you, they submit their Heilmeyer question for the problem that they want to solve. If we're excited about their submission, you can go right to our website. There's a form fill on the website to do this. Then we'll reach out and we'll contact uh, that candidate and have a conversation. And typically there's a little bit of uh, discussion around the concept. Um, often we are we are helping them, what we like to say is level up their concept. We have a lot of great $1 million ideas. We're trying to get them like, think bigger. This is gonna change the whole course of your field. Uh, imagine you had $100 million. What could you then achieve and how quickly can we achieve that radical change? And if we're excited about them and they're excited about us, we invite them in for a job talk. Um, and then if that goes well, we, we bring them in house to go ahead and launch that program. So we decide on the person. And then once they're inside, they do a little bit more discovery. They, they figure out the, the, the market that they're gonna be uh, working towards. And then they pitch that again internally, their final, here's a solicitation that I'm gonna go out to the public. Um, and that's really a decision by, by me and the deputy director. We'll, we'll say yay or nay. Um, and with that, yes, if it is a yes, comes the bank account. And we hand that bank account to the program manager who's now in charge of that investment. And then they are the decision maker from there on out. They get to pick the teams that they're going to fund to solve that problem uh, moving forward. And there's a lot of autonomy in an ARPA because that allows us to take those big risks. We take a risk on the person and the idea, and then they take the risk on the teams that are going to fund and try to solve that problem. So in many ways, you are the chief justice of ARPA-H. <laughs> you can think of it that way, I suppose. <laughs> All right. And once a program is approved, I mean, there's funding with it, the basic mm -hmm. mechanism is the research grant then? We are not uh, going to commonly issue research grants. And the reason why is when we have a program manager that launches a program, Again, I'll go back to the terminology I used before that they think and act like a CEO. So they are going to have an active seat at the table with any of the teams that they're funding because it's the program manager's job to get to that solution with those teams of solvers. And so um, it's difficult to do that with a grant. What you can uh, have a lot of engagement with the federal government is through cooperative agreements, other transactions with non-traditional partners and contracts themselves. So milestone-based contracts. And in this way, the program manager is actively engaged at a minimum on a monthly basis, if not even more, if it's an intense project, to really help those performers, what we call the, the folks that we fund, help them move as quickly as they can towards that goal. What ARPA-H brings to the table are relationships with other federal stakeholders. So think FDA, if we need to get uh, something regulated by the end of the program, we wanna have those conversations early. Uh, CMS, if we need to get payment models in, in place um, for healthcare solutions, uh, we want to get those um, early and often. And then, of course, our brothers and sisters at, at NIH. So ARPA-H is, is established within NIH. And so we need to bring in that subject matter expertise. Uh, there, there's so many uh, different domains of health that are addressed at NIH. We can always we can draw on their expertise, even if we are the decision makers, ultimately, 
Um, we need to have their domain expertise and understanding as we move forward. And of course, many of the NIH units, the institutes themselves, have big grant-making programs. So you probably That's don't want to just be doing a grant here instead of there. That doesn't really move the ball, you might say. You're exactly right. We are we are a unique part of this ecosystem. We're both critical parts of this ecosystem. But ARPH, you know, our our budget right now is two and a half billion dollars to start. It sounds like a lot of money, but when you put that in the context of all of HHS, which is nearly $2 trillion, you can imagine we're, we're carved out for a very specific role, which is this high risk, high reward, milestone based problem solving efforts. And, and that's that's our space. We're here to be a catalyst. We're here to buy down risk, demonstrate that something is possible and it's a transaction and then it leaves our page. So success for us is, uh, you know, our mission is better health outcomes for everyone. It's those outcomes, it's getting it out of the agency Maybe we hand it off to NIH for transition. Maybe we hand it off to the commercial sector. Maybe we launch a new company that's going to commercialize and bring this to the patients, to our customers. But that is what success is for, for us. And I imagine some of the problems, the grand challenges, might cross over more than one NIH institute. And therefore, it would be difficult for them to, they're all siloed in many ways. And you would be the anti-silo organization in some in that sense. Yeah, so we are a, a disease agnostic organization. And you know, the institutes at NIH are, are often aligned National Cancer Institute, of course, is cancer focused, for example, NIDDK, National Institute for Diabetes and Digestive Disorders. They they have their focus areas. It's important to have those focus areas, but we envision RPH will be funding more platform capabilities. So as a as an example, we may have a new uh, you know, digital histopathology tool. So we can augment the doctor's capabilities to you know, look at radio images, look at uh, you know, diagnostic imaging in an automated way. Uh, but we can do that for a number of diseases. It doesn't have to be only cancer or only diabetes or only Alzheimer's disease. We wanna make investments in, in all of those because we wanna bring the, 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 the basic technology uh, you know, out into the open to address a number of diseases and challenges. And maybe discuss the continuity that's required to solve these big problems. I think maintaining programs is a really, really important piece, and that is a, a critical role of the program manager. And so when, from the, even before they launch a program, a program manager needs to be thinking about if this is a two-year or a four-year program, what happens on the last day? And they can't wait to the last day to, to make sure they're, they're creating a path to transition. And so um, unique to ARPH, we actually have an entire office dedicated to transition. And what I mean by that is we, um, we're we bringing in experts from the outside. So, so think folks that are familiar with venture funding, private capital, and we bring them to the table and say, hey, we're, we're thinking about creating a program in this area. Tell me about the market. Does a market exist? Uh, if it doesn't, that's okay. We can shape that market, but we need to line up the players to be ready to, to pick up that technology on the back end if we're successful. Mind you, we're also a place where people can fail. Maybe we're not always gonna hit, create every solution. That's okay too, but we're gonna take those big risks. But we need to understand what are the market risks for those downstream funders. So that is also a core part of our programs that we're, we're de-risking this so that it's attractive for, for, for downstream funding. We, we don't want anything to die on the vine. If it's successful, again, getting it out of ARPH is, is, is very critical uh, for us. My guest is Renee Wegerson, Director of the Advanced Research Projects Agency for Health, ARPH. We'll return with more of the interview after this short commercial break. I'm Tom Tammen. 
Tackling national challenges that continue to rise and change rapidly can be difficult. Noblis can help. Noblis brings together the best of science, technology, and engineering to solve complex challenges, like improving transportation and infrastructure systems, countering threats from weapons of mass destruction, and enhancing the operability of naval surface ships. For 25 years, Noblis has been an innovator with the federal government, investing in advanced R&D, enriching lives, and making our nation safer. Noblis, for the best of reasons. Visit noblis.org to learn more. Welcome back to our interview with Renee Wegerson, Director of the Advanced Research Projects Agency for Health, or ARPA-H. I'm Tom Temin, and we're discussing the new agency and some of its top initiatives. And I want to go back to the mechanisms for getting the research and the answers done that is not grant funding, as you said, but different cooperative agreements, contracting, and so forth. Describe a little bit more about what you envision, how those different types of arrangements can work. Yeah, so I do want to flag that, you know, we, we talk a lot at ARPA-H and other ARPAs about how innovative and bold and ambitious our program managers are. Uh, make no mistake that our contracting team is as bold, as risk tolerant um, as our program managers. And they have to be because those contracts are the actual, you know, uh, contractual manifestation of these big ideas. And so uh, we want to be flexible. We want to be nimble to be able to work with small businesses and not traditional partners who might not normally be able to, to work with ARPA-H. Some of the unique ways that we're doing this, I'll, I'll flag, um, is our even our site selection process. So you might know that uh, through our authority, through Congress, that the president signed off on at the end of last year, ARPA-H has been given uh, three geographic sites that we can establish ourselves. And we want to really, but, you know, we looked at those three sites, the, the concept of three geographic sites, and said there's no three geographies that fully represent our customer, the American people. So how can we, you know, leverage a model that maybe has three hub sites, but allows us to engage a network of spokes uh, to reach our customers, to reach our investors, and to reach our stakeholders. And that's, that's we're in the midst of this right now. We've announced that in the uh, the DC metro area, we will be establishing a stakeholder and operations hub. We know that we can't transition things into the real world without very close and active contact with folks like the, the Food and Drug Administration and CMS, our, our payers, that sure. can get that across the finish line. We also are establishing a geographic hub to be determined. It's being competed now uh, in, in, in the, for any performer who wants to participate for an investor hub. So think about, you know, different parts of the country are afflicted by different diseases. Different investors tend to gravitate. You know, you have biomanufacturing centers in the United States and you have digital health centers. We want to be able to engage all of those to make sure we're delivering, you know, the right investors and, and the right return on investment for our customers. And then finally, last but not least, our, our customers themselves having a hub that allows RPH to very quickly tap into our customers, whether we're trying to stand up a brand new clinical trial or to roll out a prototype for testing uh, from pediatric patients or from geriatric patients. We need ways to engage those communities um, as quickly as possible. That is a very unique model where we're using other transaction authorities to bring those non-traditional partners that maybe don't have all the things that a seasoned uh, government contractor has in place. That's fine. Uh, we still want to be able to work with them and, and bring them to the table. So I'm getting a whiff of possibly Massachusetts or maybe upper Minnesota, but definitely. It is wide open. <laughs> it is. Uh, and, and you know, the teams that are competitive here are going to be able to uh, really not only have it an impressive capability to start, but be able to recruit other capabilities as needed. It's going to be very dynamic. So, for example, um, this year, I hope to hire 20 program managers. That means 20 different problems in health that we're going to announce. It should be a very diverse portfolio. So we may have biomanufacturing programs. We may have an Alzheimer's program. We may have a pediatric program. 
we need to be able to go to this, this hub and spoke network and, and program managers engage very uh, productively to bring uh, the key players, the marketplace that's interested in those investments, the customers that would want to participate. That's how we intend to use this network. And so the network that we established this year is going to look different from the network we have three years from now when we have more program managers and, and new concepts. So I hope that's giving you a feel sure. for this like health innovation enterprise that we really want to catalyze. I just hope you have the boldness of spirit to avoid Silicon Valley. Everyone else seems to just traipse there and loves to invoke that model. It sounds to me like there might be different models and different locations for ARPA age. Absolutely. And I, I think we really need to lean into that because you know some of the most, uh, I, I'd say, you know, ingenuity is coming from founders and funders that are from other parts of the United States that uh, are, you know, there's communities that are, that are touched by, you know, if you look at maps of where stroke is prevalent or where obesity is prevalent, it doesn't align with the biotech centers, it just doesn't. Um, but yet there's a lot of people that are very passionate about solving these problems that have local investors that want to have uh, not only, you know, create a business model around this, but serve their community. And those are the types of people that we absolutely must have at the table. Uh, to make our page be successful. And the program managers, just to clarify, could come from different parts of the government, say different parts of NIH. Could they also come from academia or even maybe there's somebody mm -hmm. from one of the big biopharma companies that would want to do this for three, four years? Absolutely. So there's there's four pillars of diversity that we're really recruiting program managers across. One is, is demographic diversity. We want people with different lived experiences to, to, to have a seat at our table at our page different geographies so we're not making anybody move we understand a three-year term appointment that's a lot to drop what you're doing in your career and uh, you have a chance to, to shape your field by coming to arca h but it's, it's a term appointment we acknowledge that we're not going to make anybody move must be willing to travel though there's a lot of travel involved uh, in this job to engage the communities and and performers that, that you need experience we want people who have government experience who have academic experience who have industry experience um any one of those or a mix a mix of all of those so uh, you know, again, having a diverse team with those different experiences is going to help us uh, create better programs as as we move forward. And then different topics. So we might have an MD who has worked at, you know, bench to bedside, or we might be working with somebody who's an expert in pharma manufacturing, all of the above. Um, we're really interested in folks from industry in particular. You mentioned industry. I mean, the marketplace uh, right now is is, uh, is there's not a lot of funding out there um, in the market. So we are seeing a lot of people applying from industry that actually having a term appointment in government to change the course of your field is looking really attractive um, at the moment. And then those folks tend to be um, very comfortable with a milestone driven, a, con a contract driven approach to solving a problem. Um, and in fact, we are adopting a lot of the industry best practices, even in standing up our agency um, that mirror you know, my own time in the biotech sector. And, and it'll be familiar to those who have spent uh, time in those sectors. And how will you handle the fact that, say, some top administrators or some top scientists in industry, maybe someone's the best oncologist in an area, they tend to be well compensated. And can That's you right. match that? Or is it simply the mission itself that you hope will attract them at what is considered a higher rate of pay by government standards, but not necessarily where they're coming from. Yeah, so there's a few things we can offer, and I am excited about some of our authorities that allow us to do direct hiring so we can move very quickly to bring somebody on board. We can also uh, be flexible in our salary uh, up to a certain level, so it's not going to be competitive, for example, with an equity package, <laughs> uh, but uh, we, can, we, are, we can move well beyond uh, the GS scale. So that does allow us to attract um, a, a higher level or, or provide a higher level salary to some of these candidates. But most importantly, I really wanna emphasize, you know, we're looking for people that are driven by the mission 
and they want to change the course of their field. That is the opportunity that we're providing. And on the back end of that, if they do shift an entire paradigm for their field, um, they they can reap the benefits of that long term. I don't mean financially. I mean we can help accelerate the the, the pace of a field. You know, a decade, two decades, um, and that will it really rises rises all all shifts and should be a motivator for those folks that that we're looking for to BPMs. And by the way, what are some of the top priorities right now? You mentioned Alzheimer's. That seems to be devil the nation with gigantic economic and social implications of that disease alone might be the worst thing we're dealing with of all. But what are some of the others? Yeah. So for for us, you know, again, we are a disease agnostic organization. So we we may have programs that are focused on a specific disease, but we're not we're not requiring any any one disease. Um, The ideas will come from the program managers. We want to make sure there's room for that. Uh, Somebody we want people that are very passionate and knowledgeable in the problem that they want to solve. But what, what I've done since coming on board is identify four kind of key focus areas that we think further investment in health will, will really uh, you know, change the state of the art. The first we're calling health science futures. Dr. Amy Jenkins is our first mission office director to lead that office. And this is really expanding what's technically possible. So think about uh, you know, tools, technologies, and platforms that can be applied to a number of diseases, whether those are, those are molecular platforms or maybe they're a hardware platform. Uh, to help us manufacture cell therapies. All of those are within scope of this office. Um, scalable solutions, and this is really meeting health challenges anywhere at any scale, whether it's you know bringing a new cell therapy from where we're at state-of-the-art today to make 100 doses to bring it to a billion doses. What is the step change that's needed to help us get there? Or reaching the American people at scale in their homes. There's a lot of great prototypes we've demonstrated on the bench top that actually for them to be useful, they need to be, you know, usable in somebody's home. How do we get to that scale? Proactive health is making uh, a, a, a focus area that prevents people from becoming patients in the first place. So detection, diagnostics, but also the behavioral, the social science programs uh, to, to promote healthy uh, behaviors and, and prevention. Those are all really product innovation based. And then our, our final focus area is resilient systems. And this is thinking about, you know, what are all of those innovations out there that have not yet been integrated into a greater capability? What's the data layer that we need to implement to be able to, to access a lot of this information? How are we going to be resilient to the next pandemic, climate change, and economic crisis? There's, there's I think, leaps and bounds uh, that we need there. And there's not a really a place in government to, to, to innovate on this in the way that, that we're intending to address this. So we're putting those focus out, areas out there not as a way to be prescriptive, but to inspire program managers and proposers. Okay, I get the scale of the idea that they're going after. Um, and here's my specific concept that we want to pursue. And in fact, uh, and in the middle of March, we announced our first broad agency announcement and open solicitation for folks on the outside of RBH to bring us their ideas. We want to hear your, um, you know, your your big cell therapeutic idea, your your big uh, pediatric surgery idea um, that might align to one of these focus areas that that we can indeed pursue. And that means we're open for business. We are ready to immediately start funding those ideas. So encourage folks to uh, to, to look uh, to that announcement for those those hard hardcore R&D projects. It sounds like then when you say disease agnostic and when you mentioned the four focus areas, they could be a disease, but it could also be a way of radically changing the way an existing disease is dealt with to make it more efficacious, much less expensive. That's where you get into the dialysis question. Maybe you can't solve a kidney problem, but you can sure make, I mean, it's such an expensive, cumbersome thing now. Maybe the whole paradigm for how it's treated could change. And that's worthy of of, uh, ARPA-H also. Absolutely. Imagine a you know ten dollars disposable dialysis machine that you're just 
can get sent in the mail and, and you can throw it away when you're done with your with your treatment and it's uh, biodegradable, right? Like, you know, these are the big, bold, completely changing how, how we, we address uh, these health challenges today. And if you could just summarize your vision for where this organization will be a year from now, five years from now, you know, down the line. Absolutely. So, you know, we're going to continue to grow over the next years. We are going to continue to hire those program managers. I hope to hire 20 this year, but in three years from now, we should hit our steady state of 80 to 100. And then that's going to be our rotating staff. And so I'd love to ask everybody, think of those one or two people in your network. Maybe it's you, in, in fact, uh, that want to come to ARPA-H and, uh, and take on one of these big problems in health. Uh, so we, we would love to hear from you. Renee Weggerson, Director of the Advanced Research Projects Agency for Health. To hear this interview in its entirety or to share it with colleagues, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Insights. I'm Tom Tammen. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Tackling Government Challenges Through Science and Technology, sponsored by Noblis on Federal News Network.